0: Live. Live from. New York. Welcome to New York. This is the Just End the Suffering podcast. Wait
1: for the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me for
0: freedom! He already put it. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. <laughs>
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. which is your New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. As we did last month in March was being NCAA tournament month, this month is NFL Draft Month. We are going to dive deep into the world of the NFL Draft on the month, on the podcast in April. We're going to stop down each New York team, then we're going to get ready for the draft, recap the draft. But first up, we're going to start with the Jets. Talk about their offseason. We're joined by John Butchko from Gang Green Nation. We are going to talk about the Jets' offseason Look ahead to the draft. Talk about what the timetable is for this team to go from a two-win team, potentially to one that could make the playoffs. We got what that is. We'll talk with John just a bit. I'm also going to be joined again by the Sky Guys. Nick, Nick Fry Pete Considori are back to break down season three of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. We had a fun chat the other day. It's a very long one, over an hour, but you guys like the Star Wars stuff. It's there for you. We had a lot of fun covering that. That's at the end of the show, but we'll get it all started with our opening tip. Where I weigh in myself on what's going on with the Jets right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all
0: ready for this? The opening tip.
2: And here we go.
1: All right, let's talk some Jets here on the opening tip. And the Jets coming to the offseason are going to be in position to be one of the NFL's most interesting teams because they had the second most cash base in the league behind Jacksonville. They had all these draft picks. There was this big expectation that, oh boy, here come the Jets. They could get whoever they want. They're going to dominate free agency. They could possibly trade for Deshaun Watson with all these picks that they have. Everything's on the table. Now, free agency for the most part is done because... The NFL, unlike MLE free agency, where you have guys sitting on the market for three months hoping for the contract, all the big players are signed basically after three days. The, the bulk of free agency work is done. The Jets certainly made some moves. They were not quiet. But I don't think the fans were happy with the overall result. And I think there were some good things and some bad things. The good things here, Jet fans have been asking for a pass rusher for 15 years. Since John Averick got traded away, they have tried to fill this hole many different ways. They tried with Calvin Pace, who was a fine player. Did not turn into a 15-sack guy. They tried to draft players here. Vernon Golson did not work. They brought in retreads. There was Jason Taylor at the end of his career. Aaron Mabin. Guys like that never really worked out. They finally have one with Carl Lawson. 26 years old. Had a statistically a year that shows he could be a dominant pass rusher on the right system. He's a good fit for Robert Salah's scheme. He had five sacks of the Bengals a year ago. I would not be surprised if he at least doubles that with the Jets. They also took a good shot at the receiver position where, remember last year, one of the big moves was they let Robbie Anderson walk for a deal that was basically a glorified in one-year $12 million contract and took a buy low flyer Rashad Perriman. That did not work. They set their sights higher this time. They get Corey Davis from the Titans, to like a three-year deal worth $37.5 bucks. I like this move a lot. He's just 26 years old. He has plenty of upsides. He was the fifth pick in the draft back in 2017. He had a big year last year for the Titans in the last year of his contract. And sometimes people forget that it, these guys don't click right away in the NFL. Not everyone is the guy who comes on the field as a rookie and just dominates immediately. Some guys need more time. And Corey Day is one of those guys who the fantasy community is called the post-hype sleeper, where he gets drafted really high, underwhelms a little bit, and then in his mid-20s, Maybe with a change of senior that he's going to get here at the Jets. He becomes a solid NFL player. Corey Davis is a good receiver for the Jets. He's tall. He's athletic. He can run after the catch. be a good fit in the Mike LaFleur West Coast offense. And it's a reasonable contract. I mean, we saw the Giants give silly money to Kenny Galladay. The Jets were not giving a wide receiver $18 million a year. Getting Corey Davis on that value is very good for the Jets. And the Jets also, I give Joe Douglas credit here, they've done a good job building some depth on this roster. They added guys like Sheldon Rankins from the Saints, who tends be a very disruptive presence on the defensive line. He's been down the last two years of injuries. Now he's healthy. He could be a terror. Vinny Curry gives them another rotational edge rusher, and the Jets, the rotational edge rusher, have been guys that you've basically never heard of or are out of the league at this point. Getting a proven guy who can give you a solid six, seven sacks a year and pass rushing spots is good. Another underrated signing is the move of bringing Keelan Cole, the number four receiver. The Jets, I mean, you got past their cop receivers last year. You're talking about Jeff Smith, Vincent Smith, Braxton Berrios. Keelan Cole is at least a productive NFL receiver. He's got some speed. He's got the ability to return kicks. That's a good value signing by the Jets. Adding some guys in the defense to make things interesting single Marcus Joyner. Could be a good safety option there. Miss, miss Cass for the Raiders is a slot corner. Now he should be much better his natural position. Jared Davis, I know people hate the contract because he didn't do much in Detroit, but I think, it's, again, it's a scheme fit thing. He's a linebacker with speed. So he has to move to the weak side, but he should have the speed to thrive in the solid defense. There are not. There are some issues, though. Joe Douglas ignored the interior offensive line. Right now, the starters there are Alex Lewis and Greg Van Roten, who should not be starting on contenders. I get there was one big guard in the mark in Joe Thune, and he got a huge offer from the Chiefs. And the Jets were not going to overpay to get him to turn down playing Patrick Mahomes. So I understand that. Do you want to argue they could have made a run at Corey Lindsley and move shifted Connor McGovern to guard? I think you can make the argument. The organization, from what I can gather, said, felt that moving McGovern to guard would defeat the purpose of keeping you in the scheme where he, they think he's better at center. We'll see it there, right? That's a spot you have to address in the draft because you can't run with both these guys. A, you can run with one, then you've addressed the other hole in the offseason, but you got to address this area. The thing that's scarier to me the corner situation. They have not addressed it at all. They have, right now on the depth chart, their top four corners are Bryce Hall, Les Austin, Corey Ballantyne, and ja- Javelin Guidry, which is very scary in a league where passing is dominant. I get they have a lot of safeties you can help out that way, but you need at least one proven corner. Maybe they'll sign one later on. There's still a bunch flowing on the market. They need to get one. They're definitely going to draft one. It's pretty clear. I think that's the target 23. If they have a guy they like fall that way. But they still need help with the corner. To be clear, though, this is not surprising with the way Joe Douglas runs his team. Joe Douglas comes to the Baltimore school of GMing. He learned under Ozzie Newsom. He saw under him that You know what, the the most successful franchises in the league are not the ones splashing the cash in free agency and signing every player they can get. That's the problem the Jets have had in the past, that they've spent oodles of money on players, only for the contract to backfire after a year, or not even that long. He's a guy who picks his spots, and that's an improvement from last year where he was way too passive in free agency. He got better here. He made some strategic signings. He signed Carl Lawson. He signed Corey Davis. Those are big moves. He's filled out his roster with depth. But his bread and butter is always going to be the NFL draft. They have 21 picks over the next two seasons, including four first-round picks and three second-round picks. That's seven potential stars you can find with those picks. The Jets have an opportunity to build this roster correctly in a way that will sustain, because the big reason why this team's not made the playoffs in a decade is their drafting is horrible. They have wasted so many picks, it's absurd. You need to hit on more of these picks to build a sustainable winner in this league. The quarterback situation also settled because, again, Sam Darnold is gone. I talked about this on the blog last week. It's a win-win for both sides. The Jets did well get what they could. The, the financial situation here explained a lot about why this had to be the way it was. Deshaun Watson's off the table, obviously, for pretty much any team, given the off heel problems he's having. But even he was available, I don't know if Doug Douglas would pull the trigger there because he loves his draft picks. They're like his 4th to 50th children. He would not; be very hesitant to give up a bunch of draft picks to get one player, even one as good as Sean Watson. But one thing we seem to know right now about them, Zach Wilson's going to be the pick at number two. They basically hinted as much. You can put two and two together. Joe Douglas told the media this week that, hey, it's safe to assume we're picking a quarterback. Steve Young has said the Jets are going to take him. People around the league are assuming the Jets are going to take him. Makes sense. He's a perfect scheme fit for the Jets, but they have to do a better job developing him than they did with Sam Darnold. And this is not all Joe Douglas's fault. Mike McCagney played a big role in this way by failing to address the offensive line or giving Darnold weapons. You cannot do that with Zach Wilson. The the line that Wilson is inheriting is far better than the one Darnold was left with in his, his rookie year. He has more weapons than Darnold had in his rookie year. This is progress, but they have to develop him correctly have to build the team around him. And that's the key to where this team goes, because no matter how much we can talk about all the signings they make or the signings they don't make or the draft picks they make, if they get the quarterback wrong, nobody in that group is going to be here in about four years. Simple as that. We're going to talk more about the Jets up next with John Butchko of Gangrene Nation. Right after this play from last season, the, the Jason Crowder... Trick play touchdown to Braxton Berrios against the Browns. Courtesy of C.U.S. is Kevin Harlan.
0: 180!
1: <clears throat> First and 10. Hand off to Johnson. It goes over to Crowder. They got Berrios downfield at the 15. And to the pylon. And it is a touchdown. What a play. 43-yard touchdown pass. And the Jets have taken the lead. Crowder with the toss. All right, I am back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast talking the Jets off season. joined today by one of the contributors to Gang Green Nation, John Butchko is here. John, welcome. How are you? Glad to be here. I'm glad to be here, too. I'm a Jet fan myself. It's been an interesting off season. I mean, it all started back in late January. They hired Robert Sala to be the new head coach. What do you think when they made the hire of Sala?
3: It's difficult to say because the coaching last year was so bad that I feel like I'd be happy with practically anybody. I really did not think much of Adam Gase, and that goes back to his days with Miami. I think Salah has the potential to be a really great coach. If you've ever listened to him talk about leadership, this is just a guy who really understands how to build. You know, it, there were some very impressive things he talked about in his introductory press conference about how the team needs to focus on everything, the smallest details in your preparation. You know, how you because how you prepare during the week impacts how you play on Sunday. And another thing he said that really impressed me was talking about how you need to relate to players. That was a big weakness with Adam Gase. And Salah talked about how he views his job as putting players in the position to succeed so that they can go get a big contract when free agency comes, whether it's with the Jets or with another team. And sometimes that's something that's easy to forget, that players are motivated by... You have to understand how players are motivated. You have to understand... um, That's that's kind of how you get through to them as a coach. So I think Salah comes with a very impressive background. He did a very good job with the 49ers defense. And you know I think this past year may have been more impressive than the year they went to the Super Bowl because of the performance of the unit despite a number of key injuries. So you never know how a guy is going to translate from coordinator to head coach. It's a big step up. Some guys are not able to do it, but I think there's a lot of reason for optimism about this hire.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that caught my attention from his press conference is something he's going to do that none of these coaches they brought in over the last two decades have, which is he's not going to basically run his offense or run his defense. He's going to actually be the coach of the whole team let the coordinators do their jobs. I feel like that's a big upgrade from Adam Gates having his head buried in the play sheet for the whole game or Rex Ryan or Todd Bowles being just locked down on the defense.
3: It's one of those things I think you don't appreciate. Now, I think the Jets got caught in the trap when they hired Adam Gates because Sam Darnold was coming off his rookie year and Sean McVeigh had taken the NFL by storm. And I think there was this mistake in philosophy in the NFL that you had to hire a coach with an offensive background. Now, if you look across the great quarterbacks in the NFL, that's not necessarily true. A lot of the top quarterbacks in the NFL were developed under head coaches with a defensive background, Tom Brady with Bill Belichick in new England, Matt Ryan has had nothing but defensive coaches to this point in his career. Um, Russell Wilson developed under Pete Carroll. Uh, You could go on and on. And you hit the nail on the head. You need somebody who's going to coach the entire team. Now, how does that impact the team? It's difficult to say until it actually happens. There was a game last year against the Raiders where the Jets were ahead in the last 10 seconds of the game. And defensive coordinator Greg Williams called an all-out blitz, which was a crazy call because they had a bunch of rookie corners out there, and one of them was a non-drafted free agent, Lamar Jackson, who got burned by Henry Ruggs for a game losing touchdown. And Adam Gase apparently didn't even hear the call until it was too late. Now, if you're you know if you're a head coach interested in both sides of the team, you're going to be very focused, and you're going to say, "Wait a minute, we can't call this. Change the play call." It's just little things like that. Uh, it's like you said. Like you said, it's perfectly real. You know, Rex Ryan had a lot of positive attributes, but one of the issues was that he never really understood what he wanted to do on the offensive side of the ball. And that's something that really held the team back in spite of his many positive qualities. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think the fact Robert Tell is willing to delegate to oversee the big picture. He's a guy who seems like he understands that you need to run the entire team when you're the head coach. You're responsible for everything that happens on the field, not just your side of the ball.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I also think this offseason is very important for Joe Douglas, who admittedly last he admitted himself last year, he said, I wasn't aggressive enough, we had holes to fill, I kind of took, he kind of took the cheap way out, just did short-term fills, and I think this offseason, I mean, feels like more typical of what he's going to do. What did you think of the Joe Douglas offseason year two?
3: I like what the Jets did. I'll tell you why I like what the Jets did. Is The Jets, for years, under Mike Tannenbaum and Mike McCagden, now not so much under John Nittick, but They've made a bunch of splashy moves, but they haven't been necessarily players who fit what they needed. They weren't necessarily great fits for the system, and they weren't necessarily very cost-effective. And you know, a good example of that was two years ago when the Jets signed C.J. Mosley. Now, you cannot blame the Jets for Mosley only playing two games through his first two years. The Jets could not have foreseen him getting injured his first game with the team. And they could not have foreseen you know, what happened last year of C.J. Mosley opting out. But if you look at the contract they gave him in the spring of 2019 they paid him like he was one of the top defensive players in the nfl which he's a very good player he's not but more to the point you look at what the pressing areas of need were for the jets at that point they needed corners they needed pass rushers they needed to build an offensive line around sam darnold and they neglected all of that for cj mosley so it felt like at many times in the past the jets have been looking to Get attention in their offseason I mean the most notable example of that was probably in 2012 when they traded for Tim Tebow a deal which let's be honest did not make a whole lot of sense even at the time what I think Joe Douglas did was he he did not make as many splashy moves and I think that there's a portion of the fan base that's frustrated with that because I think it's true across the, the NFL landscape fans want to see their team very aggressive in the early stages of free agency now Douglas made some aggressive moves early on he gave out a big contract to Carl Lawson and he gave out a decent-sized deal to Corey Davis, but these were both players who play premium positions and fill big needs. But they also made a lot of other deals that could turn into really good value deals. You look at Sheldon Rankins on the defensive line; he was a guy who looked like he was an ascending star with New Orleans, and then he got injured. And if there was a, recently an article by Connor Orr where he spoke with Rankins, and Rankins talked about his last two years, how he struggled, and how he's finally starting to heal, feel healthy now. It just got him. For a deal that wasn't that expensive. He could be a big bounce back player for them. Lamarcus Joyner, who they signed, uh, who's spent time with the Raiders and Rams organizations. He's played from slot corner, not been so great there. He's played safety, been very effective there. Jets are going to play him at the safety position. So they made a lot of other smaller moves. Vinnie Curry, who's a quality situational pass rusher, you know, he's a part time player, but he doesn't cost much and he'll probably do a good job for the team. They've been more focused on fill, filling their needs. And I think that they've done a, they've made a number of deals that could turn into good value deals this offseason.
1: Yeah, they certainly have. I mean, I watched the great teams. I mean, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Packers. Seems like that, they're never big and free agents. Tend to fill through the draft, and I think Joe Douglas did a good job with that. But targeting specific areas, the defensive line specifically, you brought a couple of the guys they brought in, like Carl Lawson, Vinnie Curry, Sheldon Rankins. I mean, going into the offseason is not an area where most people say, oh, they're going to spend a ton of money here, but. You look at the moves they've made. they made themselves a much more deeper unit up front, and they have finally a potentially true edge rusher for Carl, in Carlson. Some of them have not really had. the trade John Abraham back 15 years ago.
3: Absolutely. Uh, it's amazing. And What's also amazing is the Jets really have not used an early draft pick um, at edge rusher since Vernon Golston. It's kind of surprising because you think they've had coaches who really focused on building a pass rush on defense between Rex Ryan and Todd Bowles. It just hasn't been an area that addressed. And the other interesting thing is if you went into the off seasons, the defensive line was probably the strongest unit on the team because you had Quinn and Williams who looked like an ascending star near the end of his second season. You had some other role players fully thought who was developed into a really quiet and people don't realize that he's developed into a really good nose tackle. John Franklin Myers, who was top 10 in uh, pressures among interior defensive linemen, but they still needed more. They needed help on the edge. And, as much as Sheldon Rankins was not really a guy who filled a need for them, because they did have some quality interior defensive linemen, some quality defensive tackle types, one thing that was really good about this, it was just a really good value. I, you know, I, I was talking about you know, how he looked like a really, uh, a really uh, high uh, ascending young player, and they got him. A, you know, sometimes you can't, you can't always look at it as we have, we can only address positions where we are weak. Sometimes if you make a strength stronger, that's another valid way to improve your team. And if you look at the system Robert Sala is putting in, it's a lot of it's based on the defensive line's ability to get to the quarterback. So I think that they've made a lot of positive progress in that area.
1: Another area where they've definitely gotten better is wide receiver, because last year, Douglas admitted he whiffed this by letting Robbie Anderson walk off, basically a one-year deal with Carolina and signing Rashad Perriman. That did not work. This year they had two big guys in free agency. They had... Corey Davis obviously to be potentially the number one guy based off his track record at the end of the contract with Tennessee, and they had Keelan and Cole getting some depth, I mean, a kick return option. What do you think about the receiver moves?
3: I think they're both good. Uh, you know, if you look at the deal they gave Corey Davis, it's not even a top twenty contract in terms of annual value. So, you know, a lot of times you give out contracts early in free agency, and in order to attract the guy, you have to overpay. The Jets did not overpay for Corey Davis, and Davis just had a really good year in the Titan system, which is probably similar to the one Michael LaFleur, the new offensive coordinator is going to install with the jets. will probably be doing a lot of the same things. You know, As you mentioned last year, that they tried to buy low move on Brashad Perryman, and it really did not pan out. As you mentioned, Keelan Cole is a solid addition. He'll be the fourth receiver unless the jets make any other moves between now and the start of the start of the year. Last year, one of the issues for the jets at wide receiver was that they had injuries. You know, all, all three of the starters spent time on the bench because they were hurt. So Cole gives them quality depth. And obviously there's going to be a new quarterback. The Jets will probably draft somebody second overall. One of the issues with Sam Darnold was the Jets never gave him a capable enough group of wide receivers. That's not going to be the case this year. I think whoever the Jets draft, the second they step onto the field, they'll have a better group of receivers than Sam Darnold ever had.
1: Yeah, certainly a fair point. And I know they did a good job dressing their holes. Two things that sort of asked me is that most fans going to the odd season said, oh, they need a corner. Any guards. They have basically addressed neither in free. Are so you surprised they basically ignore those two positions entirely?
3: I'm not surprised at guard because if you look at the market this year, Joe Tooney was really the only big name out there. And he had a big contract from the Kansas city chiefs around $16 million a year. And look, I mean, the jets are, I think the jets are moving in the, the right direction, but if the chiefs are offering you that kind of money, you're going to choose the chiefs over the jets every time. So, I think the offensive line has to be addressed through the draft. I just think after you got past Tooney, there were not a lot of guys who were big upgrades there. Now, corner, yeah, I'm surprised there hasn't been any activity yet. Although, there's one caveat. There are still a couple decent players who are still on the market. You have Richard Sherman, who has played for Salah and has expressed a lot of admiration for Salah and still is playing at a reasonably high level uh, with San Francisco. I believe you still have Casey Hayward from the Chargers. You have Steven Nelson from the Steelers. So there's still an opportunity to do something at corner, but I, I'm surprised they have not I think that there were some deals out there to be had. And for whatever reason, maybe they're waiting for one of these other guys who's on the market right now. Maybe they're going to wait and see what they can do in the draft because they do have, in addition to the second overall pick, they have the 23rd pick from Seattle, which they got for Jamal Adams. And they have the second pick of the second round. So, it's also possible you see an early draft pick at corner. But yeah, the group they have right now is not great. And then in, in addition to this, Brian they don't have Brian Poole right now. Brian Poole remains unsigned, who was one of the top slot corners in the NFL. You know, the Jets may not have had great corners, but they were set in the slot. Now, you know, I mentioned a little earlier that they signed LaMarcus Joyner. They also have Marcus May and Ashton Davis, so maybe you'll see a three safety based defense. But I think that there's a—I mean, there's pretty much no answers right now at corner. I think they're gonna have to do something.
1: Yeah, they definitely are. I feel like also with them, something maybe flowing around here, I think is an interesting theory is that they may wait for some of these other pay- players until after May 3rd. And I know they believe Joe Douglas of the Ravens was a big on the comp pick thing, and after May 3rd, signings don't count towards the comp pick, because I wonder if they're waiting. To say, You know what, these guys are all similar. we we'll wait till after May 3rd. That way it doesn't affect our formula.
0: Yeah, the only thing
3: about that is the Jets have been so aggressive in free agency that I, I kind of feel like this is not a year where they're going to be able to get comp picks. So. You know, it may just be a case where maybe somebody's coming off an injury and they want to see that they're healthy. Or it may be, maybe they're waiting until after the draft because they think these guys will still be out there after uh, after the draft if they can't get anybody with either pick 23 or 34.
1: Yeah, certainly fair. I think, obviously, the big elf in the room is the quarterback situation. They trade Sam Donald away. I think they did pretty well on the return. Why do you think about how they're handling the quarterback read right now?
2: Yeah, I
3: mean, look. If you look at Sam Darnold's performance to date, there's nothing that really justifies the return that they got. It's a tough spot because if you're, I think if you're looking at this objectively, they failed Sam Darnold as much as Sam Darnold failed them. And I still think that there's a possibility Sam Darnold could turn it around in another location. The, I think the economics play a role in it. Uh, the fact that Darnold is entering the last year where he's cost-controlled plays a factor because you draft somebody this year, you kind of reset the clock. You get four years of a cost-controlled quarterback. I also think the fact they have the second pick makes a difference here. Joe Douglas said it the other day when he spoke to the press, and I had the same thought, is that if the Jets were sitting maybe at eighth like Carolina was, and you're only getting like the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board, you might go back with Sam Darnold another year. But the fact that you have your choice of the non-Trevor Lawrence quarterbacks, because unless it's the shock of the century, Jacksonville's going to pick Lawrence first overall. But in fact, you can get Zach Wilson if you like him, or Justin Fields if you like him, and it kind of seems like right now the Jets are leaning towards Wilson. If you just you know kind of read between the lines, it's a, it's a it's an attractive proposition where it may not be if you're sitting at eight and you're getting again maybe the fourth or fifth best quarterback in this class.
1: Yeah, it's certainly fair. I and mean, we, I mean, Joe, like said the other day, it's, like they're, they're, it's a safe assumption they get quarterback at two. So we're going to assume they get quarterback at two. You mentioned those two other premium picks they have, 23 and 34. So do you think it's as simple as they take a guard at one and a corner at the other? You think there's anything else they might be looking at in those spots?
3: I think in an ideal world, that's what would happen. But, you know, it's also possible that the guys who are there who would be good values are gone at that point. So I don't think it's a guarantee. And I also warn people about emphasizing needs too much in the draft because when you're drafting somebody, you're trying to get a guy who's going to be with your team for 10 years. And a lot of rookies don't contribute on day one. You know, this is the question I always ask when, when I try and put this into context. In 2007, did the Jets have a need at corner when they drafted Darrell Rivas? And the answer most people have is they don't know. Nobody remembers. Or in 2017, did the Jets have a big need at safety when they drafted Jamal Adams again? You probably don't remember. So it's not really that important uh, when it comes to when you when when you really evaluate whether it's a good pick or not. What you're trying to do is you're trying to add impact players. You're trying to add somebody who's going to help your team over the course of the next decade. So in an ideal world, need and value meet at, at one of these early picks, but. I think sometimes there's too much of an emphasis on the where a team should really focus on that because you're trying to add somebody who's going to be an impact player for the long run. And at the end of the day, Jets were two and fourteen last year. Even with all the cap space, even with all the improvements, even with all the draft picks, this is not gonna be a fully built roster next year. No matter what happens in the draft, they're going to have some needs that are going to be unfilled. You know, this is gonna be a two or two to three year process to really rebuild this team. So Look, I'm certainly hoping one of the corners falls to them at 23 and you know they get a good guard at 34. I think that's the ideal scenario, but I don't think they're going to be so caught up in position. I think you know if you have to go into next year with a weakness at corner, so be it if you can get a better player at one of those picks.
1: Yeah, I also think something that people are kind of ruling out here, which I don't think they should, is like if the board doesn't fall how they like, I would not be shocked if Douglas shops 23 and tries to move back and pick up more picks to sort of boost their chances of getting more guys to help them out.
3: I agree with that. And that's just, you know, it just goes back to what I said is there's just so many needs on this roster. I mean, the good thing is the Jets for once actually have given themselves enough resources to really improve this team quite a bit next year. But you have to remember, they can win five more games, they can, which would be a heck of an improvement. And it still only be a seven-win team. And they have a long way to go. So I, I agree with you. I think that that certainly could be a possibility.
1: Yeah. And obviously, I mean, they still have a lot of work to do. I mean, they had such a like short poll on the roster because of all the wasted draft picks over the of the twenty tens, but they've got. I feel they've definitely gotten better from a two win team last season. Like, if you were to say right now, not obviously before the draft, like how much better do you think they they are right now compared to where they were at the end of the last season?
3: I think that they've improved. I mean, I think the defensive line is a big deal. They have a legitimate pass rush now, which they did not really have. I mean, you said it yourself; they have not had a legitimate pass rusher since John Abraham was here. So I think that will help quite a bit. You know, you're always hesitant with a rookie quarterback, but I mean, Darnold was just not very good last year. I think that you should see some degree of improvement in that quarterback, in part because I think the offensive system is going to be better. Um, and there are some guys out there, you know, you have Dendell Mims, who you're hoping will improve in year two, Mekhi Becton, you're hoping he'll be more consistent, you're hoping Quinton and Williams grows after a strong second half of last year. So there's room for internal improvement as well. So you know, I think I think for Jets fans, maybe six seven wins should be a reasonable expectation. If they fall below that, you may say you maybe start to wonder a little bit about Joe Douglas. You would love for this team to go out there and make the playoffs. And look, it's the NFL; anything can happen. Sometimes the ball just bounces your way during a season. You don't suffer injuries, but I think a lot's going to have to go right for this to be a playoff team next year. What you can, what you should expect for a Jets fan, what you should demand as a Jets fan is. Legitimate improvement. This should not be a team that's embarrassing like the team was in 2020. This should be a competitive football team on a week-to-week basis, and they should vastly improve that two-win total from 2020.
1: Yeah, I think if you're a Jet fan, I think, honestly, if you go from two wins to about seven or eight, I think you're thrilled, and then your hope is that 2022 we're contending for the playoffs. I think that's what you're hoping for.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, you'll have a quarterback entering his second year, and you have a lot of players. That's when it clicks. Um, and, you know, you'll have another draft class coming in. Salah will have his systems implemented. He'll have a better idea of what he wants from players. I, I think you're absolutely right. That seems like, a, seems like the right time frame to me. All
1: right, John Dutchko from from Gangrene Nation. Thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you follow, follow Gangrene Nation on social media? You want know, some of the stuff you guys are doing over there.
3: Uh, so you can go to Twitter, uh, at Gangrene Nation. Uh, that's our Twitter handle.
1: All right, John. Thanks again. I really appreciate it.
3: My
0: pleasure. Anakin confronts his fate. Classic Star Wars characters appear across the galaxy. Secrets are revealed as the Sky Guys are back to recap season three of The Clone Wars. All right, we are back here talking Clone Wars. Sky
1: Guys season number three in the books. We have watched now 66 episodes of Clone Wars. First up today, Pete Considori is here. Pete, how are you?
0: I, I, I'm doing fantastic. Um, I have to tell you, uh, nothing like the present to finish up a season. I did about twelve episodes in two days, so we're rock and rolling. It's fresh in the head. I'm ready to talk about it.
1: Yeah, just a little behind in the behind the uh, scenes, a little inside baseball on the podcast here. Nick and I, you you're at the same pace. We finished up, I think, the end of March. Pete finished about twelve hours before recording. Love it, <laughs> but he's. Oh, it is. it's also benefits Pete, though, because Pete's got stuff more fresh in mind than I do, where I have to go back and look S- up some things. Super, super fresh. Also with me today, we talked about Snyder Cut last week. Nick Bryant is here. Nick, how are you?
2: Doing great. Very excited to talk about this season. I know we, we talked a lot about this one off the air because I tried my best to keep the same schedule as you. So we watched the same two pretty much each day. So we, I know how you feel about it. You know how I feel about it already, and I'm excited to get into it, and we have some some good things coming to an end this season and i've told you both before i think this is the last intro season to the show so i'm excited to get into the, the what i really think it gets really good which is like season four and five
1: yeah and i want to say first off i want to give us a little congratulations here we finished about half the show now so we have oh well, the last four seasons about the 67 episodes watched 66 so about 11 minutes into the next episode we are halfway through clone wars
2: really crazy to think because i feel like nothing's happened when i think of the clone wars like the stuff that i think of none of it's happened yet and we're already halfway done
1: yeah it's pretty crazy and pete since you were the most uh fresh takes on the season you really just finished it what are your general thoughts on season three
0: i really liked it um i didn't feel like there was a lot of filler episodes there might have been a couple in there but i didn't think of it as a like a half filler half not like i did maybe for seasons one and two um we got a little bit more information that i kind of thought we would get um i think as nick was alluding to you know season four and five is where a lot of the stuff that he believes is like the good stuff of the of the whole uh, series is coming up it's it, it's it seems like it's setting up a lot so um i probably sound like a broken record because i've said that for season one and two that keeps setting up hopefully that this is the last setup season um I take Nick's word obviously um, about it because he's seen it um so that we can actually get into the nitty-gritty of the series yeah I, I
1: di- different opinion than you here I was slightly down on this one compared to season two I had oh, some, what I had some issues with season three I will get into them throughout the podcast today I mean it was fine it was I, I was not the, the progression to go I went the movie stinks one's okay. Two was really good. Three was kind of back in that okay territory for me. It was not like a continued progression. That's where I feel about it. Nick, how about you?
2: Uh, overall, I like the season. I have some nitpicks with it, but I'm going to save them when we get a little bit later on into the podcast because there's a few points that I know you're going to make that I kind of agree, disagree with, that I want to use my negatives then. So I'm going to hold off there. But I will say I think you know we've talked about this off the air. Mike, you have a lot to say about this season, and I feel yep. like, and and I know you're the host of the Just End the Suffering podcast, but today, tonight, for the Sky Guys, you are not the host. You will be the host, but a lot of the a lot of the questions are going to be directed to you because you have a strong feeling on one arc specifically, and that arc we we're going to have to hear your opinion. Not you're not going to be asking for mine.
1: I'm gonna ask you yours, but I'll be giving mine a lot more. So
2: yeah, this is this is your time to shine. You've been asking the questions for how many years now. This is your time to. That's the audience is gonna hear what you think right now.
1: They will. We'll get to that one, but first I want to start out here with the cameos, and I think if it's the subtitle of the season is secrets revealed. I think the subtitle of the season really should have been how many cameos we squeeze into one season of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, because I feel like every other episode there was some cameo from a character that was in the movies we hadn't seen yet in there. Off the top of my head, I have a couple written down here. We had Greedo pop up. We had Qui Gon Jinn and Shmi Skywalker pop up both in the Mortis arc. We had Jabba pop up. We had uh, Chewie pop up. Obviously, in the season finale, Cy Snoodles popped up from like <laughs> in the from the from the uh, Max Rebo band. She pops up in here too. I mean, Pete, if you love your cameos, this is all for you.
0: Oh, absolutely. I th- I think the Qui Gon Jinn and um, Sh- Shmi Skywalker is probably the. Uh the top for me. Chewbacca also as well. Um, Greedo was nice to see. Size um, Snoodles was nice to see, I guess in a way. Um, but, you know, overall the cameos kind of connected me, right? So when I when I started watching this show, it was okay, this is happening after episode two, within episode two, and it's going to start coming into episode three. It Have the characters that I know, fine. Now these cameos start bringing in Characters from previous episodes, characters from later episodes. Um, And I think that just kind of ties together this series a little bit more for me um, when thinking about the Star Wars universe. It's not separated for me anymore. Um, Granted, the cameos were just cameos. It's not like they're major, major players in this season where it's only maybe a one or two episode thing. However, I really think this kind of made it a more well-rounded season for me so I can connect Different episodes and other storylines from the Star Wars franchise into this series.
1: Yeah, so I remember in our last podcast, Nick was saying there's a big cameo in season two. He's going to be one of my C3s, one of my MVPs. And I was talking to Nick, I feel like I realized I'm like, is this the cameo? He's like, no, I forgot this guy was in here. And I feel like you guys had so many good options for cameos here. And you were right that Chewie was probably your best pick for cameos, but there were so many. I just, there's losing track at one point.
2: Well, for me, I, when I said that, I think I kind of put a bad a bad perception in your mind, because I said there's a big cameo, so you were just waiting for it, and it happened to be in the last episode, and I forgot about four other huge ones. So I think I, I, I kind of agree with Pete. I think it brings everything together, and it keeps you engaged. But I can see why you specifically would be, I don't want to say disappointed, but like, kind of let down because you keep, you keep, oh, it's Greedo. That's the one you were talking about. Oh, it's Qui Gon. And it's like, when is it? It's keep happening. So I think if I didn't say anything, you would have enjoyed those cameos more.
1: Yeah. I think for me, there were a couple I've loved. I got Pete said, I think the Qui Gon and Shmi ones are probably the two best cameos of the bunch. I thought Chewie was a little shoehorned because just, they just threw him in there because, like, oh, he just got captured and, he, and he's going to help them escape. I think those two were good. I think the couple of them felt a little fan y to me. I get, this is Star Wars. We want to be fan service. We wanted to say, "Hey, it's all connected." To steal from Marvel, but at the same time, like I felt like there were points where the cap, all the cameras are taking away from our main characters of the show. That was my issue with the overuse of cameos.
2: I don't. I don't disagree with you. I don't. Um, yeah, I completely agree with the way you said with Chewy. Like they kind of just threw it in there. He gets captured. Although I will say his capture was a lot better. A lot. Uh, a lot better executed than his capture in episode nine, but um anything was better than episode nine. So yeah, overall there were a lot of cameos and maybe that takes away, but overall it brings things together and as Pete said, I don't think they're really like the main attraction of the season or the episodes that they're in. And it's it's just kind of like a someone shows up. And also I think one you're missing, I think we're gonna get into in the next arc. Yeah. One cameo that you may be missing. Well I saved him. Okay,
1: good. Yeah, I say it to because he's specific to one arc. Let's look at a couple of the, of the big arcs in the season. Nick's favorite arc here. The arc where Count Dooku is ordered to kill Asajj Ventress. She escapes, and then we get the creation of Savage Opress, the new, at least for an episode, apprentice to Count Dooku. We have an a little bit of exploration into the backstory of Darth Maul and his race, and... Nick, I know loves love so P, what did you, th- I want to start with you, what did you think of that
0: arc? I I think that arc was the most interesting. Um, I think it's also the most important in in terms of setting up a lot more in the future. Um, but I also think that another arc is more important about character development of a character we know. We won't get into it yet because we're talking about this one. But I think this arc was very, very clever. Um, I think it's a great sort of like we're sith i'm going to use my hate to revenge um it just kind of plays it plays the part of a sith lord or a sith apprentice um kind of also gives you the inner workings of what count duku wants to do also as well i like this arc probably the best out of the entire series uh nick if this was your favorite as well mike um th- this this was really really cool to see kind of come to fruition
1: yeah, Nick. I think also with this arc thing, I liked about it is that we got to focus on the villains, which almost never get in Star Wars. A lot is always told through the hero's perspective of, okay, here's what's gonna happen with the Skywalker's, who's got with Obi Wan or Ahsoka and, and Clone Wars. Here we basically had three episodes where, apart from Anakin and Obi Wan showing up in the beginning to fight Ventress before she gets killed off. I mean, like a little bit in the end, we don't really get much of them. We get this is a, a villain story with Ventress and the Lee. I thought that was fun.
2: Yeah. I definitely agree. I didn't think of that. I didn't think of how that was executed, but you're absolutely right. And this arc is just so cool because for so many different reasons, you know, as you mentioned, Darth Maul's backstory. And I I, I just got to say it now. I mean, Savage is no other word to describe him. He's a savage. That's why his name is Savage. He is the man. He is such a cool character. He's like a Darth Maul. A little more you know i guess more bulky a little bigger of a guy otherwise they're pretty much the same thing and darth maul who doesn't love darth maul i mean i thought i just loved the arc i was really excited to see what happens with Savageo press and then uh, at the end of that arc we see a little uh, silhouette little picture of our friend darth maul so apparently he's alive
1: yeah i mean if you've seen solo you know he's he survived somehow yeah. but you'll get more into that i'm assuming in future seasons
2: yeah, we're gonna see a lot of Maul. And we're gonna see a lot of a lot of the stuff that we saw in The Mandalorian that made us watch this show to begin with on this podcast, like the dark Saber and Mandalore and bo katan and and, um, I, and and Maul is also in Rebels and Solo, so you know he has a long story that's still ahead of him. So I'm excited to get him back in the mix.
1: Yeah, it'll be good to get him back in the mix. And I do think, I also, I say Savage Press, I get the challenge of him because. It's sort of like the Superman problem, where like he's so powerful, like how do you keep him in the story? where is he just sort of wrecking Anakin Obi on the first time he sees them. So I get why they sort of send him off on a quest for the rest of this season. I think that would make some sense, Pete.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree. When you have a roided up Darth Maul, I don't think it's best to just try to keep him around and try to make him, you know, calm. I, I think, I think the, um, the character, the mother, um. I think she does the right thing by saying, Hey, go, go find Darth Maul, get trained by this man. He is like you. He can teach you the ways to harness the the dark side, Mm -hmm. the correct way, and even more powerful than what you're doing. And I, I think that takes it off the mother's plate, but it also kind of helps Savage maybe calm down and go, okay, there's light beyond the tunnel because we see Savage gets frustrated a lot. And I think that's his downfall. So, Knowing that there is someone out there that can train him, he probably takes a little bit of solace in that, um, or calmness in that, I should say, and decides, okay, I will go peacefully without wrecking your entire camp here. Yeah, that makes some sense,
1: and since Nick brought Mandalore up, we should go to Mandalore next for the arc. I mean, this is one that, like, I watched it almost a month ago at this point, so, like, it's not as much as I had to refresh it, but looking back on it, I did see... Like, I thought this was an interesting arc here, because we get more of the political intrigue behind the scenes of Mandalore, we got a potential coup from the mix here, we got hints that there's stuff going on in the background, and Nick, I think I like this Mandalore arc. Not as much as the one from Season 2, I think it was a good little setup for more stuff.
2: Yeah, not as good as the one from Season 2, a good arc. I mean, I know this is going to sound strange, but it was, it was very easy to follow. Yeah. I like a lot of these episodes, some of them, you know, I like the show, of course, but a lot of these episodes are very hard to follow. They're boring. A lot of them, i like, how many minutes left? And that doesn't mean that doesn't take away from me liking the show or anything, because a lot of them are great. But these episodes, I feel like, are just very easy to follow. The story is very clear. A lot of them, if you notice, a lot of these episodes are kind of hitting close to home with like viruses and stuff. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works out, but. Um, yeah, I and mean, also, before, before we move on, I want to mention something about the um, the, the Savage Opress um, arc, is that you see Dathomir, finally. It's the first time we've seen the planet. You know, we've heard about it. We know that's where Darth Maul's from. He mentions it in Solo to, um, to Amelia Clark's character, Kiara. He says, meet me on Dathomir. And it's like, we never saw this place. We finally see it. And if you play, I know, Mike, you're going to get to it. If you play Full in Order star wars uh jedi fallen order you go there and you see mother tiles in there and you get a little more, you, you see the knight brothers and the knight sisters and all that Savage press star Mall stuff that's cool that they you know this is a kind of where it started all that stuff so a lot of that a lot of that game has to do with clone wars so that's a a definite a recommended game but anyway back to mandalore is like i said a very easy episode to follow and I just enjoy that. I think that you know it's something that easily that just grabs my attention right away because it's like a little mystery kind of thing. Like, and then you find out it's the um, it's what is it? The prime minister. I think it's the prime minister. Yes. Pri- that's okay. Yeah, it, it's it's a very easy arc to follow and something that I I enjoyed.
1: Yeah, I think that makes some sense, Pete. What did you do about short, this Mandalor arc?
2: Short, short arc. You know, and there's two only, only two episodes. Yes, which is good.
0: Pete, thoughts on Mandalor? Yeah, I I like Nick was saying, easy to follow um a relaxed kind of watch uh it doesn't really make you think that hard um just kind of puts it up there you watch it you gain the information um i like the buildup of mandalore a little bit and the politics there um i can say the same about the rest of the series when more politics are brought up when it doesn't have to do with mandalore and i'm sure we'll get to that too um but if we don't i think all the polit- the political talk is very important to understand how twisted uh the emperor the chancellor can be when it comes to swaying uh, his followers toward a correct route or even showing like, yeah, I, I back the Republic to really like, you know, cover his butt. So um easy arc gives me a lot of information about Mandalore that I didn't have prior. So I'll take it. I also
1: say this is one of Ahsoka's best arcs of the season, because the way she executes the plan to expose who the, of the conspiracy is is very well done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think Ahsoka has a couple of arcs, um, and Nikki could piggyback on this as well, I'm sure, because you know a lot more about Ahsoka Tano than I do. But um, she has a couple arcs in the series that kind of shows her her worth alone, uh, without her her Jedi Master Anakin Skywalker. Um, so yeah, the, kudos to Ahsoka Tano in this in the series.
2: Yeah, we'll get into our you know MVPs and whatnot later, but I got to say ahsoka went from we all watched that movie we all wanted to strangle her she was terrible and she's a great character already and we're not even as you mentioned not even halfway into the show and i think i, I think i can speak for everyone here that we like ahsoka she's a good character now
1: yeah she's a lot better
2: yeah it's just a very quick turnaround with her and before we move on i want to mention pete you had mentioned the politics and stuff like that and my favorite episode of this entire show and i'm not saying it's the best episode my favorite episode of the entire show is episode 10 of this season when Padme and Ahsoka travel to the, the separatist capital. And I just, I, I don't know what it is about that episode that I love so much. I think it's because you see both sides the name of the episodes, heroes on both sides. And you just kind of see like, you know, growing up, watching movies, watching TV shows, we have the bad guys and the good guys. And it's so clear who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. And this is kind of trying to show you that it's a war and you know in every war there's two sides every argument there's two sides to the argument and getting to understand their side not just saying they're the bad guys they're evil actually seeing them and seeing their counsel and seeing like hey not everyone who's a separatist is a bad person you know what i mean like it's not just as simple as like blue versus red good versus evil there's a lot of like middle ground here and a lot of opinionated stuff and i love that episode because it just shows you that and i always tell people when I tell them, like, oh, you should watch the Clone Wars, like any Star Wars fan that I have has never seen it, this is kind of the episode that I bring up a lot. It's like, you get to see both sides of the Separatists here, and you get to see stuff that the movies are not going to show you. The movies are going to show them as bad guys. Like, even the characters that they put on the Separatist Council in the movies are just meant to be bad, like Gunray, like Nate Gunray. Like, like the way he looks, like the red eyes and stuff, and, like, they're all evil-looking. But in this, it's not about evil and good. It's about seeing both sides.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I want to get to one more arc we have to touch on here, which is probably one of the most famous arcs in the history of the show, which is the arc on Mortis, where we see Anakin learn about his his destiny. We will get, I want to get around the panel
0: before I get to me. So Pete, thoughts on Mortis. All right. So Mortis is a very interesting arc to me. Um, And I want to piggyback on what Nick said about there's two sides to everything. Anakin Skywalker sees his fate because the dark side of the force, the brother in the, in the, in the series and his name escapes me, even though I just watched this episode probably yesterday. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, he turns to help him. We see it as it's evil, but he sees it as I don't want those things happening. Right. Good and evil are relative terms. What we think is good may not necessarily mean that's what they think is good. And I'm talking of course about fictional characters, but, um, so anakin who's somewhat maybe overly compassionate and maybe that's his demise um as a whole you know i don't want to say compassion is, is his demise but his caring for loved ones and his and his attachment to people ultimately is what bring Anakin it brings anakin down to fight obi-wan kenobi in the third episode and become darth vader uh this shows you that willingness to just change on a dime because he does not want to see himself be bad even though it turns out that way anyway um i like the arc it was a little long in my opinion i feel like maybe they could have shortened it a tad but i still think there's a lot of character development in anakin's character even though he doesn't grow because he forgets after the father you know the head guy wipes his memory i still think there's a lot of character development there for the viewer because we can see how much how much anguish Anakin's in knowing what the future would hold for him. All right, Nick, you you go now.
1: Give me your thoughts on Moray's before I get mine. Oh Mike's o- ready to go.
2: Over <laughs> overall I think the arc is okay. I don't think it's great. I I, I think I don't think it's bad. I, I see what they're doing. They're showing Anakin what could be. You're not gonna leave that in his mind because then he literally thinking that you know they might you know they they say like um if you know what's going to happen you may avoid doing something kind of thing so i get that and all that but definitely too long of an arc i think maybe a full episode too long maybe you know you could have shortened it and i have to say i think this as i said an okay arc and i think after this the arcs get pretty poor to be honest with you and I think that's a problem this season has. I And this show in general up to this point has, is that the orders of these episodes and keeping us engaged in the story is kind of just going all over the place. And it's hard to keep up with overall what's happening. And I really think, I really think this season should have ended with the final shot of the season being Darth Maul's face. And that would have been a nice cliffhanger into the next season. And I'm really getting a little tired Of this stuff not being chronological order, jumping around from arc to arc, and if I remember correctly, that stops moving forward, very little bit of that, and we're going to start seeing a cohesive story that goes in order, and we're going to start understanding it a little more and not jumping around everywhere. Now, the moment we've all been waiting for, though, Mike, tell me your thoughts on the Mortis arc.
1: I hate the Mortis arc. Literally, I know that this is one of the most beloved arcs in the history of this show. I had so many problems with it. I will start off here. Number one, like we have, we're in the spirit world and we can, and the characters we come up with our father, son, and daughter, no characterization whatsoever. It's like daughter is good. Son is bad. Father is neutral. Trying to manage the kids. Mm-hmm. I have, I have seen a show called avatar. The last Airbender where they dive into the spirit world and they give you characters with names and backstories and they can explain to you very well, like, oh, here's what happened and why they're here and why they're tormented. It's not just a cookie cutter of, oh, he's the Sith incarnate. If you had gotten a character like, and I saw there were stuff online, I read some of the notes about these arcs, that there was talks about putting Darth Revan from the ninth of the video game in here. If you put him in here as the representative of the, be- of the dark side of the Force, it would have been much more intriguing because you have some backstory there as opposed to, oh, generic son who clearly looks evil. That's problem number one for me. And problem number two, I think, I have a big issue with them just completely doing away with Anakin learning about his fate. I think it really kills the chance to develop the character a bit because I think it would have been much more interesting story-wise to have him see what he could be and try and go in back into the real world and say, okay, I know this could happen. I don't want to avoid it. And have him trying to steer away from the skin and have Palatine pushing him back into it, manipulating him into the skin and sort of seeing the final destination kind of thing, like no matter how you try to dodge your fate, it still comes to you. So I think that those are
0: two big problems with it. Hmm. Well, if if I may jump in. Sure. I can't completely agree with you on your second point. The first point, yeah, just make a name. Just make a name. Give a backstory. It's not that difficult. They spent, what, four episodes, three episodes on it? They have time to give a backstory. I completely agree with you on that. I, I don't know, though, when you talk about knowing your future or manipulating time, if you want to go deep into science or whatever, you can always change your future, right? If Anakin knows what's going to happen, does he become Darth Vader and restore the balance to the Force in episode six? That's the point that I think is crucial in the character development that he saw. You see how uh, his will is super weak to like stay away from it, and he's like, I'm going to go to the dark side because I don't want this to happen. He gets his mind wiped, so now he can do it again and actually fulfill his fate of overthrowing the empire in, in Episode Six. I feel like if he knew what was going to happen, and he stayed on the dark side with with uh, son, he would have just been a dark side person for the rest of eternity, and th- it would just been there would have been no overthrow of, of that power. I think also he was already too far gone. He was already too far gone by the by the by the middle of that episode. So it's like, how, how is he going to, you know, yeah, they'll overthrow the Emperor, but the dark side will still be prominent because the sun's going to be the new Emperor. That that's, that's my take on it.
2: I think there's a middle ground in there where you can show him what happens without showing him everything. What happens? Showing him what could happen, maybe. Showing him something negative can happen. You could turn bad. More general sense, I guess. Instead of showing him you're going to cut off Mace Windu's arm. instead of showing him that exact situation maybe there's some middle ground there but i i do tend to agree with pete here but i think you can you could make it like i think mike you're about to say is you don't have to show specific things and then i agree with you
1: yeah because i mean you could that's a fair point where you don't want to show him the entire picture and say okay like may say oh this could happen to you i think if you give him a little bit and sort of like Maybe the sun gives him a little bit of the picture and says, like, I can help you avoid what could come to you if you stay on my side. And he ends up... Let's say for the arc, he decides, you know, I'm going to be stronger than this, I'm a Jedi, I'm going to reject the dark. He leaves. He knows I can be bad, and he's trying to avoid it, but you have Palpatine in the background trying to manipulate him towards this path of being on the dark so I think that's a more fun progression of the overall story than having it all wiped away in one episode.
2: Now, also, um... You know, the actually, he didn't direct these episodes, Filoni, but you know, Dave Filoni is the guy behind this show. He, I don't know, I didn't watch Avatar The Last Airbender, but I know he's he was involved in that show too. Did he do those episodes that you're referring to? He was around that season, so I wonder if he did both. Like, because I'm sure I know he didn't direct these episodes of the Clone Wars, but I'm sure he was involved.
1: I mean, like, I'm sure this whole idea of a spirit world came from Avatar because I know he was there in season one where they introduced the concept and. And goes into the spirit world, he runs the people like Ko the Face Stealer and the spirits of the past avatars, like stuff like that comes in there. I think doing with generic entities is not really satisfying.
2: Yeah, and also maybe you could have just switched it up. Like, it's how obvious is it that the guy is bad and the girl is good? Like, that's like the most generic thing possible. Like, make the girl the bad guy. Like,
1: also, I mean, also, I mean if we're doing cameos here, like, why couldn't we just have Qui-Gon be the good guy and then have somebody else be the bad guy?
2: It would have been a good situation to throw in someone from the old extended universe. Now, now back then, you had Revan. That's, be- well, that's before the split, so yes. it wasn't considered the you know the legends back then. But it, you could have done Darth Revan there. Darth Bane, although spoiler alert, Darth Bane does show up in this show. But they could have just thrown in another Sith from other material that we hadn't seen yet, or someone else instead of just son, daughter, and what was it, father? Yeah, father. Yeah, it's a little. That, that that's that's a little and, and to me honestly the fact that you're like this is I mean just, you've seen the animation in this show it's pretty expensive to make this show definitely not cheap and I feel like if you're putting all this money in and all this time and it's a star wars show i feel like you could do a little better than son and daughter
1: yeah I mean this is basically the exact dichotomy of like the original Star wars family because right? we don't have mother in the picture because remember Padme's not conceived like as a character until episode one we just have vague descriptions of her so we had the father, the son, the daughter. So like this is literally just like, ripped right out of George Lucas's playbook.
2: We have a description of her that Leia remembers her. Yeah. She was very sad, even though we saw. I don't know how Leia would have remembered. She was about six <laughs> minutes old when she died. Oh,
1: that one will chuck that up to for the Force, I guess. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's, that's, those are some of the big arcs I wanted to hit on. Let's go to some other stuff. Pete, give me your best arc or episode of the season.
0: Um, the, the best arc for me has to be the, the Savage arc. Um, I think that is such a fun arc to watch. Um, seeing Ventress get so pissed off that she wants to kill Dooku. Um, and then, and then it brings us to a terrific cliffhanger and setup to have Darth Maul in the picture. So I, I, I think that's my, my top arc of the season. Nick, is it, do you have the peace arc as your top arc?
2: I, I do. Uh, same reasons literally i just i just i mentioned earlier i really wish this was the final arc of the season you know i know we're watching it in terms of like you know we're gonna i'm gonna probably start watching season four by the end of the week but how cool would it have been back then 2010 2011 to see darth maul's face and have to wait three months and be like oh my god is darth maul alive I, you know we, at that point 2011 we had known darth maul being dead for 12 years and we're sitting there like, is he alive? Oh, my God. And we have to wait a couple months and then find out. Now, I don't like that it was in the middle of the season. I really don't. But it was still a great arc. And overall episode, though, I got to go with my, my episode. Episode 10 with the heroes on both sides. I love okay. that. I'm yeah. the only person who loves the politics in Star Wars. No,
1: this one was good. I think that's my favorite arc of the season that arc where Padme tries to get the peace done. She comes very close to ending the Clone Wars in there. And then we see the great right counter account Count Dooku to do it. I love the maneuvering there. That was my favorite arc. I'll throw an honorable mention out to the first two episodes of the season, the Clone Academy arc. I thought that was a lot of fun going in there, seeing this ragtag group of clones basically like actually come out against the odds, find a way to basically overcome like bad training of some sort and figure out a way to work together and beat the challenges and get shipped out to Clone Academy. I think also in the timeline is also off because I think these – Episodes happened before even season one, so I think it's a mess, but fun episodes.
2: Yeah, I, I those are definitely, I was, I was actually thinking about those episodes earlier today, and those are definitely, by far, to this point at least, the best episodes that are centered around clones. Usually I don't mm-hmm. really care that much. I'm just like, I don't really, I don't really think, you know, they're all the same. I know the point of the show is to try to show you that they're not the same, but... They still are in my eyes. And this one kind of showed me that you have different personalities that can work together to accomplish a common goal.
1: Yeah, PG, what'd you think about that? I know it's been a while since you watched that one. What do you think about the first two arcs of the episodes with the uh clone academy?
0: It hasn't been hasn't been that long. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I actually really, really enjoyed it. Um it, it does throw you through a loop though, because this happens before season one chronologically. Um, so you have to kind of piece some stuff together. But I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I think it was it was a great um, I don't want to say homage to Bad Batch, but it kind of almost had like that kind of feeling of like, oh, they're not doing it the way they're supposed to. There's they they're being conflicted. Um, they're gonna be you know on cleaning duty for the rest of their their assignment. So I think to see them overcome that kind of challenge together shows, like Nick was saying, there are personalities. There are this there is a brotherhood within your squad, even though everyone's literally a clone of Jango Fett. This is true.
1: I also... We'll go to the worst arc for a second here. I want to be bold here and assume we're all are in agreement here. Spending three episodes to kill off Zero is by far the worst arc of the season. Yes.
0: Yeah. I I agree. I also... I'm going to be honest with you. The last three episodes of the Citadel... Yeah. I don't we're think after. it should have been that long. Didn't need three episodes. The arc story-wise, Zero is definitely the, the, the uh, LVP for arc. But... That Citadel thing did not have to go three episodes at all.
1: The Zero arc, as my opinion also, is the worst is because, again, this shows you the problems with the continuity of the writers, the timeline here, because they show you him in prison, which is in season three. Then we go back to, remember, season one, the end of the finale, they break him out. So he's back in prison. Then he's broken out. Then he gets killed. So like this is basically the writer saying, we made a terrible character. We screwed up. We got to get rid of him quickly. So here we go.
2: Well, to be honest, though, uh, how bad could it have been if, at the end of the arc, we no longer have to deal with Zero the Hut? <laughs> it's true. They did
1: they they got, silver they linings. Got yeah, they did drag it out though quite a bit. I mean, a lot of the arcs were very, dragged out.
2: Very satisfying to see Zero get shot.
1: Yeah. All right, so let's update some trackers here. As of the season, we have a couple of trackers going. Padme did not get captured again, so that tracker is still at four. Whoa. No Hondo this season. Hondo is still at five appearances total. So that we'll, was... be, get,
2: we'll be getting Hondo back. And and, and and recently I booked my trip to Disney World. I'm going to go on the ride with Hondo too.
1: Yeah.
2: You'll go on Smuggler's Run for us? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a sick ride. Yeah. I'm oh, it's so cool. Going in November. we got a while, but.
1: All right. So that's so Hondo will be there in spirit. And maybe next time like, we'll talk about him some more. <laughs> we do have to finalize the zero tracker. He is up to five appearances and that's it. He is done.
0: Five and final.
1: Yeah, I think this is it's a, it's worthy of celebration, I think, Pete.
0: I, I wish it was a one and done kind of thing, not a five and done, but I I'm glad we have four more seasons without him. Yeah. The majority rules on that one, four seasons without him, three seasons kind of with him. I'll I'll take that.
1: Yeah. This is my feel. I mean, when we got the uh situation with here, we got How <laughs> are yeah. zero zero is gone party. Yep.
2: Very exciting stuff, honestly. Zero the Hut. We got Asaj Ventress. What, what's she up to now? Do we know? Not yet. I mean, she's floating around no. the universe. We don't really know what's going on with her. We have Savage. We have Savage looking for Darth Maul. We have Ahsoka growing by the day. Anakin growing into from a teen to a man. There's a lot going on. And and I gotta mention real quick though, how much better was the animation this season? Huge upgrade. I, this was, I believe, there's two or three, maybe, upgrades in animation, and this was the first one. I think we get another one in season five, and then another one on the last season, which the last season's animation is, like, perfect. Because I always wondered, you take a look at what Obi-Wan wears. He has, like, a half of a clone trooper outfit on. Like I always wondered why. And, like, what they're wearing how come they don't wear what they wear in the movies and then when you get to the last season they're like wait yeah why did we do this so they make the character <laughs> just look exactly like they did in the movies and was probably season, which is cool
0: it was probably a budget thing right i mean if you don't have yeah. a lot of money and you're rendering all this clone troopers you might as well render obi-wan with like clone trooper pants on with just like a tunic on top it just saves money and the budget keeps going up depending on how much popularity the show has so it makes sense that toward the end the the animation gets better but also too the the details get yep. a lot better um also,
2: you're closer to episode three now so like when you're in right. the last season you're running co- side to side with this so and that's why they look exactly like they look yeah also
1: ahsoka gets a big damage for the animation upgrade because he looks yeah. more like an actual character than like a cartoon
0: can i ask a question to you guys yeah. did i miss something that ahsoka got her second lightsaber or does that just appear I don't remember. Is there this. any sort of mentioning or any sort of story that says that she gets her second lightsaber and now she's training with not one, but two lightsabers. I did not see that. I, cause in, cause this season I, yeah, I all of a sudden I, two lightsabers was like, Whoa, okay. Ahsoka. All right. We're going to play that game.
2: Like, I always thought of her as a, as having two. I never thought of, I never even remembered that she like, it just showed up. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Just, just kind of just randomly. I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, kudos, like go for it girl. But like, I thought I I missed something I was like wait was there like a storyline I fell asleep on where like she got her second lightsaber and decided I'm going to start training with two lightsabers
2: I think they messed something up in the season but I think they fixed it relatively in the show but I think they fixed it relatively quickly as in they fixed it at the beginning of this season Ahsoka in the show is the show runs over the course of three years she's 14, 15 and 16 I think she looked like she was 11 in the movie or in the show Mm -hmm. the first couple seasons and now i think she looks like she's like 16 and yeah only like a year has passed so far in the show and she's aged like five years so i think that was a mistake on their point but i think they fixed it pretty quickly because she definitely did not look like she looked like a little kid and now she's looking like a like a teenage girl so i I, you know they kind of messed it up but i think they fixed it quick enough that i don't think it's that big of a deal Alright, let's get to the
1: MVP and LVP range. We're sort of taking a look here at track like who are the best and worst characters of the show as the seasons go on. We have a little thing going here of a MVP leaderboard. Anakin Obi Wan at the top, they are plus five each. Cad Bane is plus two. Jar Jar plus one. Mace Windu plus one. They are in the positives. Padme is at zero. She is leveled out, so she is literally the middle of the list. Then we have Ahsoka minus one point. Luminara unduly minus one point. Zero of the Hut minus two, Palpatine minus three, and the Investigator Douche from season two minus three. They're on the bottom of the board. We'll go around the horn here. We'll start with MVP. So Pete, who is your first MVP of the
0: season? Sai Snoodles <laughs> for finally offing Zero. I am so happy. No, I'll, that'll be like a, that'll be like a joke one. Um, so actually, my MVP of the season is Ahsoka Tano. I think we see great leaps in her training. Again, dual lightsaber out of nowhere. Um, she's teaching some people on man, some kids on Mandalore like orchestrates that whole plot thing going on with the rations of food and the prime minister, the last part of this season, which could have been a filler could have been a setup for the next season to show how strong she is, where she's in star Wars hunger games, she gets captured and she's able to, without a lightsaber fight off and plan attacks with a group of people on her own, without her master there. If we remember Ahsoka Tano, had a lot of trouble making decisions with her um, cadets or her troops or whatever you like to call it. Now she's being very defensive, so I'm going to give her the MVP for this season. All right. So Nick, who's your first MVP of season three?
2: So I, I have three. Uh, I'm going to give you them all now,
1: uh, one at a time. Well, let's go around the horn, keep okay. sort of thing.
2: I'm also going to give one point to Ahsoka, and I do have I have nothing to add to exactly what Pete said. She's grown. That's all I can say.
1: Alright, my first MVP of the of the season, I'm giving Padme a point here because Padme almost ended the Clone Wars. That alone, I mean, it's not her fault that Factor's Beyond Her Control basically ripped the Peace Element out of her hands, but she goes to the Separatist World, she back channels against regulations from the Senate. She comes very she comes within about three minutes of ending the Clone Wars. So that gets an MVP point in my book.
2: Yeah, she did. Nope. <laughs> she she's always been in the movies, too. Always been looking for peace, looking for liberty. This is, you know, you know her famous line. This is how liberty dies. You know, she's always been trying to end the war, not extend the war. And she almost did.
0: All right, Pete, second MVP. Yeah, my second MVP goes to Padme. Uh That was a great segue, Mike. Uh She, like you said, almost single-handedly ends the Clone Wars by going to the Separatist capital and speaking to the enemy, which is is very frowned upon, by the way, on The Republic. So she made a huge risk, huge risk with Ahsoka Tano. So um, all the more reason that Ahsoka gets my MVP for number one. But yeah, so Padme gets a point as my second MVP for this season.
1: Nick, your second MVP is?
0: Anakin.
2: I don't think he did anything specific to deserve the point. I just think his character is becoming more and more likable as time goes on. And if you'd only seen the movies... we've talked about this countless times now you only say the movies when he turns in episode three you don't really care that much i'm starting to feel for the character more and yeah that's really all i can say is anakin is becoming someone that i have i have you know i feel for him when he turns i feel as, as a tragedy of darth vader more so than just this guy turned bad and this show is just every episode that he's in it just proves it more and more that he's becoming more less of a whiny brat and more of a man. All right, my second
1: MVP. I'm gonna go to somebody we haven't honored yet. I mean, Plo Koon. A point. I feel like he had a very, very good season. I mean, he's the basically the num- number three Jedi on the on the Council behind Obi behind Yoda and Mace Windu. He's doing lots of good stuff. He's helping out in the battles. He gets gives Ahsoka like the cover to go on the mission to the Citadel. Good year for Plo Koon. He gets an MVP.
2: You know, I always thought, and, and you're right, he he said he's like third in command in the council, right? Yeah. And I always thought, and this show definitely goes against that, that the third in command was Kiari Mundi, you know, the guy with the crazy head. Because he always sat, like Yoda sat here, Mace was on one side, he was on the other, always. And I always thought he was. But then in this show, especially in the season, you could tell that Plo is third in command. So I wonder what the continuity error, they just didn't care, or they just wanted Plo to have more time. I don't know. Maybe he's a more likable character than Kiadi Mundi's is, so.
1: All right, Pete, your file MVP is?
0: File MVP is Anakin. Um, I kind of liked seeing that weakness to him. Um, the reason why he's an MVP is because it, it it brings that much more information to me about his character. Makes me appreciate more about the troubles he's really going through in his head. Um, so I'm going to give him that point. All right. Uh, Nick, your last MVP is Savage. I, I knew you were going mm. there.
2: Yeah. It's it's one of my, one of, one of my boys. He's awesome. He's one of the coolest characters. I mean, we talked about earlier. He's Darth Maul on ruins. Doesn't get any better than that.
1: Yeah. That's a good call there. I'm my last one. I'm going to go give Dooku an MVP point for basically, Finding a way to undo Padme nearly ending the Clone Wars by staging this stealth attack or using vacuum robots to basically blow up half, this, half a Coruscant and set this back. I know he handles the Assage of thing poorly, but I think he still has a job because he managed to salvage that piece. So Count Dooku gets the last MVP from me.
2: Dooku, Dooku's a good character, and I don't think they explored him enough. In the movie, and you could, you know, I mean, you couldn't. He was only in a movie and 10 minutes of another movie, so you didn't have time to do it, but it's nice to see more on him because he's a very good character.
1: All right, now the fun comes, because I feel like I have a very hard time narrowing down the LVPs. I felt there were so many characters who had bad seasons, so... Nick, I'll, I'll let you go first here. Who is your first LVP? Zero. No ex- it's my, explanation,
2: needed. It's my, it's my last chance to throw Zero in here, so I had to make sure he gets a point. And, uh... I really just could not be happier to see someone go. Uh,
0: Pete. First I guy. mean, do, do I have to say? It? <laughs> Zero. Zero.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. My first one, and since we're rounding up on the bad characters, I'm going to throw on the investigator douches pile because he's in here for one episode. I don't know how you possibly miss the fact that Greedo kidnaps these senators' children. And he just didn't... Even his job is to investigate. He did not turn over the statue and find Greedo's blood on it. It took the senator himself to go find his children. So, Investigator Douche gets whacked again. LVP point for me. Okay. Yeah. Nick, who is your second LVP?
2: I had a lot of trouble thinking of one. A lot. I really couldn't think of one at all. So, I'm going to go with um, Obi-Wan for the for the pure reason that he just didn't do anything. I don't think it's his fault. I just think nothing happened with Obi-Wan the whole season. That's a fair. I, don't have, I have nothing to say that he did positively. So it, I just, by default, I just think he's an LVP. That's a fair. I mean, we we didn't talk about him once. Yeah. We didn't mention him yet.
0: Oh, Pete, who's your second uh, LVP? So, um, I, I want to say, <laughs> I want to say the father and the whole mortis arc you can if you want oh, only only because he's like I shouldn't have brought you here like aren't you supposed to be this powerful like know the force like the force runs through you like you didn't know that doing this was going to make things worse and you just expected Anakin to drop everything and be like you're going to stay here you're going to make sure that my son and daughter don't fight you know like I, it just it bothered me the whole thing bothered me he just he seemed like a fool even though he's like this all powerful wizard force bearing wizard yeah like <laughs> It just didn't make any sense to me, so I, I got to give him an LVP point.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good call. I I stay away from that Morris arc because I was just so mad about. It. I didn't want to just ding anybody. I thought it was a. I'll get to why in a minute, but I'm giving an LVP to the one guy we didn't mention yet, Grand Moff Tarkin. As soon as being right now, just Captain Tarkin. He oh is such an awful character in this season, and I mean, he gets captured, yes, but he spends the entire rescue whining. He insult, He's insulting Ahsoka and these Jedi who are coming to rescue him. And the issue I have here is that, like, he's incredibly whiny. He's not offering a plan of his own to help. And I know, says, oh, like, he's Tarkin, he's evil, and all that. But at the same time, Anakin and Ahsoka are, what, like, 19 and 16, respectively? He is 40 in, or roughly in this. And you've said the fact that Peter Cushing got about 65 when he plays him in a- episode four. He's 40. He's whining more in the teenagers. So that's an automatic LVP from Tarkin.
2: Do you think that they. As I'm trying to grasp my head around why this is the case, because I agree with you. I always agreed with you. Like when you said that, I just, you know, we all know him from even Rogue One, the way he was. Do you think it's on purpose to make him very annoying so he's not liked? Because to this point, most of the characters from the original trilogy that are on the Empire side, which would be Anakin and... um, the Chancellor, you know, Emperor, and now Tarkin. Anakin, we know, is Anakin now. He hasn't made that turn to Vader yet. And we look at the Chancellor, and I like, kind of like squinted at him, like, I know what you're up to kind of thing. Tarkin's the only guy. Are we supposed to view him as a good guy? Because he's on the good side right now. So I feel like maybe make him really hateable because he hasn't done anything wrong yet to be a villain, but he is a villain. So maybe just make it so everyone hates him. So that way, you know, when the original trilogy comes about, you don't have any sympathy for him because you're not supposed to have any sympathy for him.
1: The thing also, I feel like Peter Cushing plays him as like very smarmy. He's sort of like, he's yes. like a very cocky, very like I got this plan figured out. You got nothing figured out. Like I'm I was sure they could have made him cocky. Yeah, like he would have like because I mean they say I'm like you have better plays. Like no, I don't. It's like you could have like given him his own plan. Had he failed and had to have to save his butt that would have made him more real. Him just whining, like, oh you have nothing going on. Why am
2: I following you guys like. Yeah, you could have made him like a whiny, annoying, cocky guy. Yeah. Instead, they made him whiny, annoying. Useless. With with like no confidence guy.
0: Yeah. But could it be that this is the turning point of Tarkin? And that's why he's whining and he has no confidence in the Republic? Yeah. He makes it very clear he's an ally with Palpatine the whole way, though. But, but, yes, but he makes it clear that he's, he's an ally of the Chancellor. Maybe he thinks because let's say he's let's say he's chummy with the chancellor and the chancellor's saying the same thing ideas that Tarkin is saying you know you're not going to get anywhere you're not going to get a victory unless you're aggressive and everyone is not being aggressive maybe this is him saying you know what I give up I'm I'm done I don't I'm not appreciative you're not doing what I think you're supposed to be doing to win this war so I'm going to be a whiny little brat and I'm going to go run to the chancellor and tell them well I told them to do this and they didn't do it so I don't care at the same like, time our, yeah. Are we seeing that turning point in him where he's like, I don't think we're doing this the right way, so I'm going to start leaning toward maybe a different approach, which could switch him to a separatist or a the empire you know, eventually. An empire mindset. My issue with this is again
1: the age factor here because we know what Peter Cushing is supposed to be. He's supposed to end up as Peter Cushing, 65. You know, confident, like smarmy dude. He behaves worse than the teens who are on the Jedi, and the teens could easily be whining. So. That's my issue with Tarkin.
2: So Tarkin is, as you mentioned, yeah, he's like 40, 42, 43 in this show. Yeah. So you would think any personality changes probably would have happened already.
0: Yeah. Maybe maybe he's hiding behind the fact that he doesn't have any good ideas. I still give him the LVP. I'm
1: not changing my mind on that.
0: Oh, no.
2: I
1: <laughs>
2: That's
0: fair.
1: All right. Nick, your final LVP
2: is going to who? Man, um... I hate to say it, but Chewbacca. <laughs> I was very excited wow. to I was very excited to see Chewbacca in the show. I love Chewbacca. I think I told you, Mike, off the air. Everyone likes Chewbacca. Everyone does. He's he's no one's favorite character, but no one dislikes Chewbacca. He's he's always in you know, he's always up there, but he didn't do anything. And he made such a big deal that it was Chewbacca and it was like if I remember correctly it was like what's his name? And it was like Chewbacca, and then it went to commercial break and he did nothing. No, he just tags along. He was just there. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I guess it's not his fault, you know, but like he didn't do anything. I, I feel like half of my LVPs and two thirds of my LVPs are just because the characters didn't do anything. Not that they did anything wrong. I could have easily thrown the father or son or in there, but these characters just, I was excited for, like I'm excited to see more out of Obi-Wan this, this whole show. I'm, and I not that I'm excited to see more Chewy, but seeing Chewy was exciting and I got nothing out of it.
0: All right, Pete, your last LVP is going where? Um, My last LVP has to probably go to Obi-Wan. Uh, like Nick said, just probably pure fact that just nothing really happens with him. There's no development of his character. Any action that he's in is with someone else. It's shared, you know, I mean, he doesn't really have any spotlight in this season, in my opinion, Um, and he... he he doesn't come off as this like great negotiator. He's just kind of there for the ride for this season. I'm assuming that'll change in seasons to come and that's not going to be Obi-Wan's role for the rest of the series, but just, just like Nick was saying, the pure fact that just nothing goes on with that character is that he gets the last LVP point for me.
2: Mike, let me jump in. Sorry to cut you off. I have to change my answer because I forgot about this guy. The Jedi master peel. Yeah. The one who dies. Yeah, I just no, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. The arc I didn't like. He doesn't bring anything to the table. He, you know, he, that's just, and that I, I said it three times already. That should not have been your final or next to final arc. Your final arc should have been Darth Maul, and that's really it really gets me annoyed because every other show we watch, you watch the Mandalorian, you watch, you know, whatever it is, One Wandavision these are no one no no other show has the episodes out of order no other show has the first three seasons you have to go on a website to find out exactly what order you're watching it in no other episode has no other show has two three episodes here then two three episodes that have nothing to do with it then you go back to those same characters and it's like nothing ever happened three episodes ago and i'm i'm happy that we're moving on to season four because this is gonna gonna end if I, i just looked at it on online i believe there's no more out of order but i'm tired of this Oh, this out of order stuff, and this this guy being your final arc and being the death. Like, I'm supposed to care? What was he in one scene in episode one in the background? Yeah, yeah. So change my answer from Chewbacca to Jedi Master Peel.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because this sets me up nice for my last LBE because there were so many different things I was thinking about. Like, could I go give another point to the Investigator Douche? Could I? Should I finally ding Zero myself? Could I let you two do all the work on that one for a while? they so in dinging these random characters. And then one day it just came to me in a vision, sort of like the force stream here. My last LEP is going to the writers of the show because oh, of course, all of these problems <laughs> are on their feet. They are the reason why we have to skip around in time with the zero arc. They, they did a poor job with Morris. In my opinion, they placed the timing of the episodes as Nick said in the wrong order, all these things on season three, my fault, it goes to the writers. The writers' room flunked us this season. They get the last LVP from me.
0: Shots fired.
2: Let me let me bring something up, see if you agree. Do you think – I don't know if this is not a defense. This is not a criticism of anything. This is just a, a question that I you know would like to hear both of your answers on. Do you think this show just came to be as like, let's do a little fun, little Saturday morning cartoon. I don't know. I actually don't know what day it aired when it was on, but like a Saturday morning cartoon and just – with some star wars elements in there throw some arcs around and you know we'll just see what happens and then when we get to the point we're at now they were like wait a minute this shit's actually picking up people actually like this thing why don't we like make a little story out of it do you think that that's what happened
1: that's possible because that sort of explains why the continuity issues go away in season four where they sort of say oh we're gonna tell a straight line story not bounce all over the place i think that makes more sense i think also though the problem is is like they had a lot of bad ideas in the season I think that's where my big issue comes in. It's like they. Oh, did... yeah,
2: no, not de- not debating your issue. Just in general, do you think maybe that they didn't think anything of this show, thought of it as just like a little idea that could make some money and just keep kids entertained? And it was like, wait, we actually have something going here. We can do a lot of stuff here. It kind of
1: feels a little bit to me. It's almost like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers-ish where – they are like, oh, this is fun. It's for kids. We'll just do all these random things. And then, like, I remember, like, I watched the first couple of seasons. The third one's like, oh, we're actually going to try and tell you a go here in story now because people take it a little more seriously. So I think kind of a little bit like that.
2: Yeah, hopefully that's – I mean, it doesn't really matter. We, we know what happens. I mean, at least I know what happens next. But definitely – you definitely see that. I, I definitely think that that's a possibility.
0: To add to this, just from an industry point of view – I think because they knew they were making this for a younger crowd, a cartoon animated series, excuse me, that could be appearing. What What channel was this on? Cartoon Network. So it was on Cartoon Network. Remember that reruns are a thing. Yeah. They had to make not only small story arcs, but also small contained episodes that if it was played out of order on a Saturday morning, three or four episodes in a row and you catch the last episode or whatever, you can still kind of enjoy and understand what's going on. And that's the feel I get so far. I get the feel of, I can watch this episode as a star Wars fan. I can understand it and keep with it as a kid though, that not knowing the story arc, I can just watch it as like, okay, it's keeping me occupied. There's some action. There's some dialogue. I don't know who this is. Tano person is who's Anakin never saw star Wars. Like, I think that's what was happening. And then to Nick's point, they said, Okay, people that watch Star Wars religiously and want story behind it are actually looking at this and going, we we want more, we want more lore, we want more information of what happens between episodes two and three, and they probably go, okay, we have the budget now, let's make it a season long story arc instead of three or four different random arcs in different spots and different chronological orders that would just keep you know the average viewer of Cartoon Network uh, entertained.
2: Yeah, I think yeah, we're still we're we're still gonna get those mini arcs to the season, but I think they're gonna start flowing making more sense and flowing. And and just for reference, so I know you you had asked Pete what channel it was on. Seasons one to five were on Cartoon Network. Season six was a Netflix original, and then season seven was Disney Plus.
1: Okay, so to wrap up our stuff here on the annual trackers on the monthly trackers here. Season ranking, so far we've basically gone in chronological order, where season two is the best, then season one, then the movie. I think we're all in agreement that it's better than the movie in season one. The question is here, do we put this ahead of season two or below season
0: two? Uh, Nick, if you don't mind, I'll go first. I'm going to, can I tie it? You can tie it if you want. Only because I feel like there was a lot of elements of season three that were important, but I don't know if it's better than season two. And I don't know if I can rank it under season two, because a lot, there was a lot of problems with season two as well. So, like, I kind of want to tie it for first right now, where seasons two and three and then season one and then the movie. Yeah,
1: I personally I would put it below season two. I think it should be there because I think like there's more misses in season three and they took some swings. And that's fair. They missed on a lot of things like as I said. I'm digging the writers a whole. I can't put season three ahead of season two when I'm digging the writers. That's my personal rationale. Nick, do you want to break the tie here?
2: Um, yeah, I will. I'll put three above solely because we're starting to set up, you know, this only comes from my opinion, really only mattered in this sense, because I've already seen seasons four, five, six, and seven, knowing what happened in this season and what it means for the future of the show with Savage Opress and Ventress and, you know, whatever else there is. I have to say that they set up more in this season to make it so honestly. I feel like if you didn't see seasons one or two and you just picked up the show at three, the whole thing would make sense. There's very few things that wouldn't make sense to you in the final seasons. But if you didn't see three, you wouldn't understand the rest of the show. And I think that those little episodes we had in Mandalore, and, or especially, and especially the episodes we had at Dathomir, are crucial to the show.
1: Okay, so we'll so basically based on the math, we're gonna
0: leave Pete's gonna be the tiebreaker. He's gonna put them tied right now at the top. Yeah. All right. All right. So that's all fair points, though. Yeah. Honestly, all fair points. I just I just couldn't like, in fair conscience, put one above the other.
2: I want to tie it too because the Mandalore arc from last season kind of equals the Dathomir arc from this season, and actually, I think they took place at the same time in the season too, which is weird, but. So, so, yeah, but I, I think there's just more important stuff in this season, so I had to put them sense. up.
1: It's fair. So we'll put them at a tie here. That's all for season three. Next month, season four, Battle Lines. Nick, I know we have probably some Darth Maul coming here. What else you got, we got, to, got to look forward to?
2: Finally, I believe the main reason a lot of us, and not just us, I'm sure there's other people out there, Or either listening, or maybe they have no idea the podcast even exists, but they're doing the same thing. Watching. Started watching this show after The Mandalorian. And one of those reasons was Bo Katan. And we're going to meet her. And that's exciting.
1: All right. That's going to be fun. And I will say, we're going to watch season four. It's going to be out around Star Wars Day, May the 4th, because there is a new show coming out. It's P. Louis. The Bad Batch is dropping. So, in addition to our season four coverage, we will talk about the premiere of The Bad Batch in our next podcast record. So, that should be fun.
2: Very I excited. About I that. can't wait for that. That's like a spiritual successor to the Clone Wars, if you will. Sequel, kind of, actually, technically, yeah.
1: Yeah, so we're going to watch that episode, give you our thoughts on that. We will touch on that in between Clone Wars and Rebels. And we'll touch, because that part of the whole season will have been aired. So we'll have covered all that
2: for you. But that, that sounds good to me. I'm excited. All right, well, let's wrap
1: everything up here. I want to thank you guys for coming on. Before I let you go, let's plug some social media. Pete, have do you us on, on social
0: media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PJConsidori29. Been a little bit better with the content. there. actually making my own tweets so instead of a lot of retweets. So you will be excited to see that. So go ahead and follow me on there if you want. All
1: right. And as usual, Nick is not giving out his handle yet. He will follow you, though, if you leave your not, comments. Yeah, able... it's
2: coming soon, though. Just, you know, leave your – Big big things are happening left.
0: in the future. Big things have yeah. in the future. Nick's going to drop the Twitter handle. One day. You better be listening. You better be listening for we that. We
2: have a big plan coming with the Twitter, and uh, I'm excited to unleash it to.
0: To the audience.
2: All right, so
1: that's a tease to keep stick stick with the Sky Guys. We had season four. Thanks again for coming on, guys.
2: Thanks, Mike. Yep. Thank you.
1: All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest John Butchko from calling on to talk about the Jets off season, get ready for the draft with the Jets, busy off season for Gang Green. Also, I want to thank Pete Concedor and Nick Fryette for hopping on to do the Sky Guys season three, go through season three of Clone Wars. A lot of fun stuff there. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including, as I mentioned at the top of the show, my look at the Sam Darnold trade for the Jets, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to leave your feedback and Starwink as well. It'll make the podcast even better going forward. You can also check my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversations from the episode will be up there. My chat with John's going to be up there. Sky Guys content's always out there, so... Check out Mike Phillips on YouTube. You want to see the individual conversations from this episode. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's mphilips 331, And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast. Coming up next week on the show, we're going to do the Giants half of this. We're going to talk Giant offseason, Giant draft. Do a little Oscar talk as well and more. So I hope you have a better week than A's fans.